Hello and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. Uh, I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website. I'm joined again by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Sidekick. And replacing our usual contributor, Philip Shanahan, is another Philip, uh, Philip O'Connor, uh, our man in Stockholm, uh, originally from Dublin and now a, a Reuters journalist based in Sweden. Phil, it's good to have you back on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, lads. I can't even remember when the last time was. It wasn't too long ago, but it's always good to be and delighted to be asked to, to be part of the podcast. I think we've all kind of forgotten what time is over the last uh, 18 months, oh. so I'm, I'm not, <laughs> not sure myself how long it's been since we've had you on. It's mad altogether. <laughs> yeah. Let's jump uh, straight in with the big news of the day. Stephen Kenny has announced his squad to face Azerbaijan and Qatar in October. A few surprises, as we've come to expect from the Ireland manager. Phil, what were your uh, your first thoughts on the announcement today? Well, I suppose there's two things that stick out there, Joe. One, uh, as is probably well known from uh, the listeners to this podcast who follow me and you and Mark on social media, I have become Zach Elbuzadi's hype man here in Stockholm ever since he moved to AIK here. Uh, so he moved here during the summer, signed from Lincoln City. Uh, fascinating story of the transfer, which I'm sure we'll get into. And I know that they're well aware of him. I mean, he played plenty of times for Stephen Kenny's under-21s. Keith Andrews is well aware of who he is and what he can do. And indeed, that was where the Swedes spotted him. His manager at AIK now was the assistant manager to Roland Nielsen when he played, when Zach played twice against Sweden. And Zach was the player who stuck out for them, you know. And when Bartosz then, the AIK manager, wanted a winger, they sent him to go and get Zach, you know. So... Uh, to me, and I've seen pretty much all of his games now, I've managed to catch up on the ones I missed when I was at the Olympics. And I mean, Zach has been brilliant since he came over. He he came over here and he pretty much, they weren't expecting him to go straight into the team, right? So he came over, he was kind of on, on vacation. He was on holiday just from Lincoln City from the season end and uh, he, he'd been alone in Bolton and that. And he kind of, you know, had, had a couple of weeks off. And the club were saying, and people at the club were saying to me, well, you know, he's probably not going to be fit or that kind of thing. And he just, he came straight in and he hasn't been out of the team since. He's pretty much playing 90 minutes week in, week out. And he's been very, very impressive. Now, again, you know, there's this thing of, you know, he needs to get more assists. He needs to get more goals. He knows that. His teammates know that. The club know that. But he's been looking really, really good. Would I be a surprise? Would I have been surprised if he got a call up? No. Am I surprised he didn't? Probably not either. I'd say now in another two, three months, you know, and we're at the tail end now of the Swedish season, which is a summer season. But I think by the beginning of next year, really, is the time when I'd really expect Zach to make a breakthrough in the green jersey. So we'll see. I mean, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for him. But then, of course, the other big thing uh, is the inclusion of Will Keane from Wigan as a striker. Kind of out of the blue there. Will played an awful lot of underage football for England. Brought in, you know, Wigan, again, one of the top clubs in England at the moment. And you're bringing in a 28-year-old striker. And I think that tells us an awful lot about what Stephen Kenny is looking for now. I think at this stage, uh, you know, leaving out Zach and bringing in Will tells me that it's not that we're not creating chances. If you wanted to create chances, you bring in a player like Zach, who's brilliant, cross the ball both feet, hits such a superb variety of crosses with his right foot in particular. That's not what Stephen Kelly is looking for now. He's looking for somebody to stick the ball in the back of the net. And Will Keane, is, he's the name you know that's been pulled out of the hat. He's going to get the chance. Uh, fair points. Uh, Mark, same question, I guess. Uh, what did you think of the squad when it was announced? And well, what were the, the standouts for you in the, the 26-man squad? Yeah, I mean, as I think Philip has said, uh, the Will Keane, and I think we'll talk about him at length. The only other, given injuries and also game minutes, I think, goalkeeper, defence, defensive positions, I think, spoke for themselves. Maybe Harry Arthur's role in the senior squad, maybe he's there for experience, but I'm not seeing the rationale. Is he going to get genuine game minutes here um, in these two internationals? I'd love to have seen someone like Kevin Kilkenny or someone of that ilk come in to it, but I think what we've seen with Will Keane as well, I think it's a results business now for Stephen Kenny. He has two games now in Baku and also in Dublin where I think realistically, guys, does he need to get two wins here um, to kind of keep the media at bay a little bit? Um, it, it just feels to me, it, it's a steady as he goes squad, but the Will Keane one, maybe perhaps James McLean being at Wigan, has had a glowing reference to Will Keane at the start of the season. I know he has been pretty prominent for Wigan. They're second on the table at the moment in League One, but um, yeah, a bit of a left field move, but let's see how it goes. 
that thing, right. I just want to chime in there to what Mark was saying about Harry Arthur. One of the things I noticed in the last round of international games, Mark, so the way things get covered has changed an awful lot. So I might be at the Friends Arena for a Sweden game, but over the course of the international break now, because it's literally fucking t- 10 days of games and often two, three games a day that we'd be covering. And, you know, you can't go to all of them. So some of them you're watching the TV. So the last time out, the last bunch of qualifiers that we had in September, um, my co- my colleague in J- Germany was on holiday, so I ended up watching a lot of their games. And one of the things I noticed in all the qualifiers, right, is pretty much every team in Europe is looking for a player who can play a vertical ball in behind the defence. And with that, I mean a midfielder who can pick out a run along the back line and stick it in there and cause trouble, right? So every team seems to have wingers like Zach Elbuzedi who can get around the back and put the ball in the box, right? But that's not enough. You know, I remember seeing a David Moyes team for Manchester United just hoofing the ball into the box. You have to be able to mix it up. And Germany really suffered I think it was against Liechtenstein they only beat them by a couple of goals and then the next game I saw them play three or four days later it looked to me like that was all that they practiced was these little sort of balls just like quick little balls in and they're the kind of balls that Harry Arthur plays and they're also the kind of balls that Ireland were missing last time out as well right so when we talk about this idea of creating chances right we created loads of chances Ireland created loads of chances but they just weren't very good chances, right? Across in this day and age, in, uh, up against the players that we're playing against, is more or less a 50-50 ball, unless it's on a counter-attack when everybody's running towards the one goal, right? So those kinds of balls, like, stuck in behind the defense, especially against poorer teams, like, the, well, you know, Luxembourg beat us, but uh, Luxembourg is a team that's going to sit back. Azerbaijan teams are going to sit back. They're the balls that open these teams up and that really give them something to think about. So I reckon that's probably just as much, because Harry Arthur can play those balls. Jeff Hendrick can play those those balls and played a few of them last time out he looked reasonably decent you know but again a fellow playing at Newcastle is not going to have his confidence really up there so I think that's the kind of thing that I'd say Kenny is looking for in terms of bringing Hardy Arter back in now it's a very valid point Mark whether he's going to get to play or not but what he will do is he'll get the chance to show okay like if that's what Kenny is looking for he'll tell Hardy Arter right go out and do that in the seven side and the nine side and if you can impress me well then you, you might just get in the team yeah that's uh, your points Philip Reed to be honest yeah just what you said about Will Keane there Phil you know scoring those kind of goals. When you think about the goal that we scored against Serbia and to a lesser extent maybe John Egan's goal against Portugal, these are headers from centre halves. Do you think that bringing Keane in, and I, I don't know if you heard Stephen Kenny's press conference today, he did mention Will Keane's heading ability. Is he bringing the striker in to play that target man role? Because when you look through the, the rest of the players that were named as forwards, Kyle Robinson, Darrell Horgan, James Collins, Adam Eda, Aaron Connolly, Troy Parrott, and Giudosi Albeni. None of them really strike you as someone who can, who can do that. Maybe James Collins, and I think in the long term, Adam Eda uh, has been earmarked as a player who can, who can get his, his head on the end of crosses. I did think it was interesting that he, he made a very specific point about Will Keane's heading ability in the press conference this afternoon. I think you always want that option, right? When Stephen, uh, when when uh, Sweden went to uh, the European Championships this summer, they had hoped to go with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who's a powerful, powerful player in the air, both ways, right? So he can play. If the ball's been played up long from a fullback, he can he can knock it on. Uh, he can get on the end of crosses in the box. He can get on the end of set pieces, right? But as you say, Joe, Ireland in those games when they were looking for something, when they were chasing something, they didn't have somebody as dominant. Ida, I think, is a brilliant target man, but he's a brilliant target man on the ground. And by that, I mean, he's not great at leaping. He's not great at sort of, you know, flicking a ball on for a winger or a fullback to run onto. He's not great at that yet. It's something that he's going to have to develop. Now, somebody that I spoke to at Manchester United, or who has been at Manchester United in the past today, I was asking about Will and seeing this person would have worked for MUTV, you know, and I'm saying, okay, have you, you know, what was Will like there? And they said, you know, he's a, he's a well-schooled footballer, you know, so he's well able to do these things. I haven't seen enough of him at Wigan or paid enough attention to see exactly what he's great at. But if Stephen Kenny is saying he's in there to head the ball, I think that those two things are the alternatives that we need, right? Is One is the ability to get on the end of something in the box. And it doesn't matter what you get on it. It's just to get your head in there. You know, heading is so much more than, you know, just getting up in the air and getting onto something. It's how you run. It's how you use yourself physically. It's how you position yourself. It's how you get up first and occupy the space in the air before defender does it and that's really really important because I've seen strikers Jesus I'm 6 foot 3 6 foot 4 and I was useless in the air for years because I didn't know how to use these things until somebody showed me how to use my size you know so I think that that's the thing and the other thing is the experience of being 28 years of age and playing in the championship playing in league one having that kind of hard experience hard one experience you know 
anybody who's played in the championship will tell you it's much harder to play as a striker in the championship than it is in the Premier League. In the Premier League, everybody around you is just as good as you are. And, you know, defenders are very good, but the quality of ball you get is, is brilliant, right? In the championship, it's just a war. And it's a war every game you play. So if you have a grown-ass man, as Floyd Mayweather's father would say, going out there and battling for it, it's going to give the team another dimension. And for me, this says that Stephen Kenny is... He's looking for this blend, right? I don't think Stephen is going to go away from the way that he wants to play football. I don't think he's going to go away from the possession game at all. But he wants to have the option, right, of playing those little balls, those little passes in behind for tricky, skillful players like Troy Parr to run onto, for good physical specimens like Adam Eder, who's good with his feet, to run onto. But he also wants the option to get the ball to the byline and cross it or to put several players into the box on a set piece because that's where the goals are coming from. So you can't cut off your nose to spite your face. You have to have Shane Duffy there his feet because that's most likely where your goals are going to come from from now and the more you do that the more options that you put out there the more the defence the, the other team the opposition has to look at you and go okay we have to take this into account even if they never use it we have to go and look at Will Keane now because we have to make sure that we can counter whatever it is he's trying to do so I do think he's just trying to add sort of you know more tools to the box or more strings to the bow and I think that that's going to be a positive thing for the Irish attack because he is very much a box player like you know he, he will look to impose himself in the penalty area. Followed him early on in his career at United and there was great hopes for him there. I mean, mm. Warren Joyce, the United Reserve Team Manager, was full of praise of him back, I remember, it was around 2010-2011. He received a call-up for the England under-21s and he kind of praised uh, Will Keane just for his form and everything else, but it kind of, there was issues, there was injuries, whatever, but again, it, he's a well-rounded striker, I think. You know, he's a good mm. link-up man, decent pace, and yeah, you have to kind of say to Stephen Kenny, obviously he's done his research, he's done his scouting on the player, so mm. let's see if he gets some game time, particularly think, in Baku. I think one of the things I learned this summer, Mark, was when Zach came over, I was always fascinated. He's one of the first Irish-born players uh, to, to come over to, to the Swedish League. The Alsfans got to play football here. You had Pat Walker from Carlo from many years ago. His sons were born and raised here and brought up in the Swedish system. So it's very hard to make a sort of a direct comparison. We've seen Swedish clubs play against League of Ireland clubs over the years. And, you know, the, in the beginning they were very poor and then they got better. And then, you know, like, it, but it was very hard for me to say, if somebody said to me, you know, what would a player like Zach, how would they be? How good would they be here? And the truth is they're very, very good, right? And Will Keane is the kind of guy who has had a very good footballing education, right? So it's different now to when it was in the 80s when I was playing in Ireland in the 90s where, you know, you, you, the centre-backs were all basically sort of, you know, big hulking fellas who were great in the air and couldn't kick a ball out of their way, you know? It's different now. And all pretty much all the players in that squad, like Will Keane, James Cos, all these guys are good with the ball at their feet. You know, they, they are rounded, intelligent, knowledgeable footballers in a way that maybe they wouldn't have been beforehand. So the question really is for Kenny, if he can put them in a context where they and Zach Elbuzadi is in one of those contexts now he's been put in a situation where he's been put in the right wing for AIK and he's absolutely thriving he's been told encouraged pushed to take his man on every chance he gets and Jesus the lad wins six, seven, eight corners a game and Sebastian Larson whips him into the box and AIK are scoring all their goals from corners that Zach Elbuzadi is winning you know so if Will Keane can be the guy that Stephen Kenny brings in and says okay you know I'm not he, the great white hope is he the missing league I don't know you know but I mean if you put him in there and he starts to deliver well there's no reason why you know I think the guy who scored the goal for Sheriff the other night I was listening to the second captain's podcast he was on the bench for Luxembourg against Ireland right so you don't need world beating names to get performances that are going to win at this level anymore the level is so high the players are so well educated and so well developed that you know Will Keane may very well be the man to go in there and to help the likes of Adam Eda and Troy Parr to really settle into the international game I think as well like when he's coming in now uh, 28 I think he's 29 in January like he's he's not a long-term player. Uh, we could probably expect to get maybe four years out of him at the top level. But when you think that in four years' time, Adam Eda is going to be 24, Troy Parr is going to be 23. So you know his inclusion might take the pressure off these young up-and-coming players. Of the three of Eda, Connolly and Parr, Parr's the only one to have scored uh, at Senior International. And he only did it. He scored both his goals in, in one game against Andorra. But with Keane in, might take, as I say, it'll take the pressure off him a little bit. He's they're going to learn from a player who's, you know, who's had a, uh, he's had a very long career. You know, he he made his first appearance for Manchester United back in the 2011-2012 season. Played 163 games across his career. According to Wikipedia, I'm sorry if uh, uh, whoever's been editing his page is incorrect. When you think that that's you know a little under 10 years and it's only 16 games per season. He has had a, a horrific run with injuries, but in the last two seasons, 
you know, he scored uh, 11 goals from 34 appearances for Wigan last year in, in League One. So that's roughly about one in three. He's got four goals in 10 games so far for Wigan again. So, you know, a slight improvement on, on that. Look, we're looking forward to see if he can make the step up to international level. And look, if you're going to make your international debut at the age of 28, games against Azerbaijan and Qatar maybe are the games to do it in where you're not going to be expected to score a winner against the likes of Portugal or Serbia, but you just expect to perform well. And if he does as well for Ireland as he has been for Wigan, I think that will be chalked up as a win. Yeah, I think recently I've been feeling very sorry for the likes of Adam Ida and for um, Omobama Dele because like, you have them playing in pretty much the worst club in the Premiership and then they come to a very unstable situation with the Irish team, right? So these are guys who are basically getting pummeled. It doesn't matter what jersey they're wearing. They have a very difficult job every time they go out on the field. And I think that Will Keane coming in there is going to take a little bit of focus off them. Um, I, I definitely think that at some point they're not bringing Keane over for the laugh, right? I think that he's going to get to play probably against Qatar because I think that's the game when Kenny's going to say, look, we could pretty much put out anybody. Now, Qatar are investing hugely in that team. They want to put on a good show when they get to the World Cup. So I do think that they're going to put out a fairly strong side. I still think that Stephen Kenny is going to think that, look, this is a game that I definitely want to win. Me, personally, I don't care about results because I don't, like, I just want to see them play well. I like what I've seen so far and I do think that in time it's going to come right. But I think for somebody like Keane, Joe, you mentioned that he might have a four-year window now of international experience. I think it could be an awful lot shorter. I think that if he comes into this camp and maybe the next camp doesn't deliver, I think he'd be the first name to disappear. If they bring him in, and you know, let's just say, you know, we'll you know speculate that James McLean has said, look, you need to take a look at this fella. If they bring him in, and Stephen Kenny says, no, he's not what I thought he was. Now, like you say, Stephen Kenny scouts people. You know, when Zach came over here, uh, AIK told me I think that they watched him play in 19 different games before he came over here. So he has been on their radar for a very long time. Nothing happens by accident these days. This is not like, you know, Joe Libero or these things that happened years ago where a fellow would be given a name and all of a sudden he'd be given a call up and, you know, he'd be given a chance to show what he could do, you know. So I do think that, you know, they've, they've scouted Keane and they have some sort of a plan for him. But I would say that if he doesn't deliver, I would say they'll probably drop him very, very quickly because this is a problem that needs solving now. The goals issue is the only thing... Because if you score goals, you're eventually going to win games, right? You may not win them against the better teams, you know, but you're going to start to win the games against the so-called poorer teams, the teams who are ranked lower than what Ireland are. That's been the problem, that we haven't been able to score the goals against them. And if Keane is the solution to that, he's going to have those four, five, six years there. If he's not the solution to that, he's going to be gone, and somebody else is going to be in. And it may be somebody from, you know, the first division in Scotland, or maybe somebody from the League of Ireland, but I don't think Stephen Kenny's going to hang around now, because he knows that a goal scorer is key to his future in the Ireland job. I don't want to put more pressure uh, on the manager, but uh, in the build-up to, I think it was the Andorra game, uh, he was asked if it was a must-win game, and he, his response was, well, what is a must-win game? Well, it's a game you must win. Um, <laughs> it's pretty self-explanatory. And like obviously, a friendly is never going to be labelled a must-win game, but I, I, when myself and Mark and, and Phil were discussing it, we were kind of saying, well, if he didn't beat Andorra, then his job was was done for. I mean, if you can't beat a European minnow, a team that you know that we've scored handfuls of goals against, well, then you're clearly not good enough for international level. And in that respect, it, it was a must-win game. I don't know if I'm going to label the Qatar friendly a must-win game, but it's definitely a must-not-lose game. And I, I think the same goes for the Azerbaijan game. They were a team that came here that we expected to win. They took the lead, uh, and we were possibly lucky to get away with the draw. And coming on the back of the loss against Luxembourg, we have to look at the two remaining games against the, the lower, the two lower-ranked sides uh, in the group, both of which are away from home. And we really need to come away with at least four points, I'd say, from those two games. I think you kind of have to look at a timeline as well, Joe, right? So... Like Kenny's real problem is that we're looking back now and we're forgetting the context in which a lot of his work has taken place. And that context was a cancelled Euros. That context was a cancelled playoff. That context was players, you know, playing in front of empty houses, not being able to get people together, losing players through COVID and this kind of thing, right? So, and I'm not making excuses for Kenny. You know, we all talk about this being a results-based business, you know. But, you know, he came in at a difficult time and he, like, to me... What I wanted to see done is what he's done, right? As I say, I don't care about 
results. And for the next five years, I don't care about results. I don't care if they make it to the next Euros or the World Cup or whatever. That's just, to me, I don't, I don't care at this stage. I want to see Irish football healthy. And by, by that, I mean players playing for decent clubs and putting in decent performances. And I think that if you, if you fix the things in Irish football that need fixing, the results are going to come automatically. But no less than with Germany when they struggled against Liechtenstein and spent a couple of days in the training ground and things improved. I think things have improved for Ireland over the last little while. I think it has taken an awful long time for a player like Shane Duffy, for even for players like Seamus Coleman, to actually understand and to, to, you know, I hate this phrase, to buy into. But, like, you know, there's a natural sense of, okay, I should be just smacking this ball long, especially when you're a goal down. And that's not what Stephen Kenny wants. This adjustment has taken a long time, not an unfeasibly long time, but a long time all the same. And I do think that, you know, the more I see the performances, the more they actually believe. It's not, you know, the results aren't great, so I believe that he should change. It's the other way around. I actually think that he's getting somewhere with this. I think that this, you know, this soft, slow pace of change that's happening, you know, he's bringing in the players. You have to give these guys, you have to give Eden a chance to develop. At 20 years old to come in and to bear that sort of responsibility in an international team is ridiculous, you know, but that's what we have to do. Keane coming in the same thing. It's probably unfair to try to expect too much of him to begin with, but that's what we're looking at at the moment. Against Qatar, like I say, I mean, Azerbaijan, are they a good team? No, they're not a very good team at all, right? But it's very, very difficult to win international football matches these days, especially if teams back home and, you know, you've basically two banks of five to try to play through. Any team in the world, you know, Switzerland were brilliant a few years ago until everybody worked out that that's what they wanted to do. So they just packed the middle, you know. I remember Mika uh, Lustig, who's now playing with, uh, he's the right full back behind El Buzeli for AIK. And he was telling me that, you know, when Sweden play against a much better team than they were, he said the full backs are basically supposed to be on the, so the lines, the vertical lines, the penalty area. He said, we don't bother defending at the corner flag anymore. We don't bother stopping cross. We just jam people into the middle of the pitch because it's so hard to do something when we're all in there. It's basically like, you know, putting the big man under the basket in basketball, you know, and that's what teams do. And that's not easy to break down. And no ranking in the world is going to do that. You need individual skill and flair and talent, and you need fellas who are used to playing with one another. So I think that's really what we should be looking for more so than saying that you know I, I get what you're saying about must not lose games absolutely but you know when the must win thing like I say I don't really care about wins yet I just want to see where we are at the end of this process it would be lovely to have you know six seven eight points it'd be lovely to be able to look back on that performance particularly against Portugal and say yeah that was the start of something really good but really I think that Kenny is right when he says you know if you want to judge him on anything it probably has to be the next Euros. I kind of uh, support Philip in a certain respect in terms of the results taking care of themselves. I, I'd imagine the Azerbaijan game is where he's going to pick his optimal first 11, but I think the Qatar game, we've seen Qatar, you know, Budapest and that friendly, and I was actually quite impressed by Qatar technically. And, you know, we did compete very well, but I think it might be a nice chance for Stephen Kenny to kind of say to the press, look, I'd like to kind of try out a few players like the Ryan Mannings or the Nathan Collins is here, who's in that squad, you know, just to kind of experience a bit of international football, you know, and build a little bit of momentum there for these guys. I mean, yeah, the Azerbaijan game, I hope, will take care of itself. Again, it's another test for Stephen Kenny and Keith Andrews. We've faced Azerbaijan in Adiviva. I don't think our tactics are going to change a whole pile from uh, in Baku. We're going to see next weekend. I think they're going to pack uh, the midfield, the defensive area, and it's going to be up to us to really kind of force the game a little bit. So it'll be interesting there to see how Anthony Barry and Stephen Rice and the guys have literally analysed uh, Azerbaijan. But yeah, I would be with Philip there. I think let's get the performances. And I think the performances have gone enough for trajectory, particularly this year. I think mm. any, uh, you know, the Portugal game in the Algarve. I mean, we're like, in fairness to poor Stephen, like he has been absolutely jinxed. I think you know the pandemic. There's been various player withdrawals. Like that end to the Portugal game. You know, <laughs> on another day, another night, you're coming away there with a one uh, one all draw. Or, like the Aaron Connolly penalty call as well. We couldn't have been going away with three points. I think he's just been just generally unlucky, but yeah. he does need a, a result, a marquee result in these two games, just to kind of kind of build a bit more momentum. But yeah. I think it's worth pointing out, Mark, that you kind of get the look you deserve in international football. And by that, I mean that the margins are so small these days. And it doesn't matter if it's against <coughs> Portugal or against Azerbaijan, right? Good players will punish you, right? And I remember, again, another fellow who plays with Zach now at AIK, Henok Goitom, who's played his international football for Eritrea. His father and mother from there, Henok was born over here, really should have played for Sweden. How they managed to leave him out in the Zlatan Ibrahimovic era is beyond me. Because if he had played, like, you know, he's such an intelligent footballer, Zach will tell you the same 
game himself. Ibra would have scored twice as many goals playing alongside this fellow, right? But he was telling me one time, he used to play in La Liga in Spain for Amaria. So he was playing for Amaria against uh, Barcelona, and they lost that game 8-0, right? He told me it was like playing with 15 of them on the pitch, right? But he said that Amaria had an attacking corner, and he stood looking at the Barcelona defence, and he said to himself, if we lose this ball, they're going to score. And six seconds later, the ball was in the back of their net, right? So from probably one of the only attacking corners that they had in the game, and he was able to see the way things were lined up, how Barca were just going to bang, and they were going to hit them on the counter, and they did. And that's what happens in international football. That's what Portugal do. That's what Cristiano Ronaldo has done to you, you know? And Azerbaijan can do the same thing. Luxembourg can do the same thing. So the, the years when we were growing up, and when I was standing on uh, on the terraces in Lansdowne Road, and I moved here 22 years ago, so that's a long time ago, right? The years when a smaller team could come and eventually just be beaten down down physically or be beaten down uh, in fitness in terms of fitness where they just got tired after 70 minutes San Marino Luxembourg and they just ran out of steam and then we just beat them anyway if we didn't beat them in the first 20 minutes you know those days are gone sports science has caught up so much that even the fellas who are postmen and Liechtenstein these days are just as fit as fellas playing football in the championship and in league one you know and that's really the thing that we, we fail to realise we have this thing still it's almost like a colonialist attitude that you know when we were once you know one of the great nations we made it to the Euros in 1988 when there was only eight teams there and we played against England the Dutch and the USSR like you know world powers in football and we've more than held our own and for some reason we still believe that that's who we are that that's our place in the food chain Well, unfortunately it's not and it's not that we've gotten so much worse it's that everybody else has gotten so much better but we're on that improvement thing again but just one more point Joe that I, want to, that I definitely don't want to forget is that um, survey that was published today by Off the Ball which showed that 80% of Irish people are kind of happy enough with what Stephen Kenny is doing there and I found that fascinating because in the discussion with you guys on social media that kind of thing that's the vibe I get I get the fact that the, the fans want the team to be proud of and aren't really they understand the things that we're talking about here but there's certain people pushing an agenda and I only wish I could name them but the libel insurance for this podcast is as it is so I'm not going to right? <laughs> you have a wedding but, to come as well Joe so yeah, <laughs> bleep, bleep them all out Joe I use the names of Joe and bleep them out but no, yeah. there are an awful lot of people there who don't want to see Stephen Kenny do well some of them think that they could do the job better some of them think that other people could do the job better but they're there and they're briefing people they're telling journalists certain things you see who's being quoted right and it's it's extremely disappointing to me to see somebody like Paul McGrath a man I respect greatly as a player to come out and trot out this old you need to start getting results you know I, I would expect better of somebody like Paul who understands better than anybody else having started in the League of Ireland the situation that Irish football is in at the moment but certain people are out there and certain people are giving them a platform to be out there as well it has to be said and it really is deeply disappointing because like the job of a journalist is absolutely not to be a fan, but it is absolutely not to be a hit person or a hit man either for anybody else. You're supposed to be there. You're supposed to be impartial. And what happens, happens. You're not supposed to be trying to use the platform that you have to influence the discussion in any way whatsoever. You're supposed to be presenting the information for everybody else to make up their own minds. And it's extremely disappointing to see the way some people are doing these things. I saw that poll you mentioned on Off the Ball earlier on, and I, I have to say I didn't really understand the figures that they were saying. Like if you actually looked at the, the results, there was I think 48% said that the manager should be given a chance for the Euro 2024 20, qualifiers, and then there was 12% said need a new manager, 35% said I don't pay attention to football, and 5% said they don't know. And then like it was being reported as 80% of the Irish public back the international football manager. And I was looking at it and going, no, that's not what it says at all. It says, uh, first of all, 35% of the people that responded have no interest in football. <laughs> yeah, so basically, look, if more than a third of the population don't have an opinion on football, then clearly 80% of the population don't back him because whatever the difference is there have no interest in football. So it's, I think a, a, just a better way of reporting it was that 80% of Irish football fans back yeah. the manager, which I think was probably more accurate. Well, that, that was how how I interpreted it, Joe. But I mean, again, there's there's two things. It's like it's always fascinating to sit here and to talk to you guys about the the, the squad that's picked and that kind of thing. But what's always really difficult, and this is the way the game has become now, it's really difficult to understand what Stephen Kenny is trying to do because he can't exactly go out and tell us because you know he might be telling telling the coaches of Azerbaijan and Qatar, right? This is what they're going to do, you know. So it's really really difficult. Sometimes if you know a person or a player or a manager well, they'll tell you these things off the record, right? And that's 
that's happened to me with several managers for club and country over the years where they'll explain to me I'll say look at our certain players not doing very very well and the manager will say to me well look at I'm asking that guy to play in a way you know I mean I remember a particular Irish midfielder telling me that he was being asked to play in a way that absolutely did not suit his game and he was getting hammered for it in the press and they were saying this guy has no idea what he was doing well what they didn't realise was that what he was being asked to do was the anathema to the kind of player that he was and that people expected him to be but neither he nor the manager were going to go out in the press and say that because that was going to give away something tactically that the opponents could use but the manager was very happy with his performances because he was getting what he wanted out of him you know so this is the hard thing you know the, the people who matter to me really the opinions that matter to me are those of the players first and foremost if they believe in the manager then that's fine right and then the fans right I do think that the fans have to the fans have to back the manager to a certain extent I think that he has to have their trust in some way it's a very hard thing to measure but as you say Joe of the people who said that they follow the football team probably about 80% said that they're kind of happy enough with the way things are going and that to me says you know like I think he has to at least get until the end of the Euros it's like Yanni Andersson the Sweden manager I brought him up to a local pitch here and he was saying look if it was up to me I'd do this job for the rest of my life and I'd be the same with Stephen Kelly I just I like the guy I like what he stands for I don't know him personally at all I think I've spoken to him maybe once in my life but I just let him at it you know but we'll see how that works out yeah I think you mentioned like the fans and players and I think they're firmly behind them you know like the Aviva Stadium and the uh, the Serbian game, I mean, the roar that went up with, like, 30 minutes to go was, like, just incredible. Like, uh, I mean, fans are kind of rallying behind Kenny, and I think the players have been very positive in terms of what he's trying to do as well. And I think the backroom staff, I think it's, it would be very premature to literally call a halt to this, like, you know, particularly if we can see the good kind of performances coming in here. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, he's due, I, I hate to say that word, luck, but I think there is a result coming around the corner that is going to be, the marquee one for him that get, gets him to the next level and then I think the momentum builds on that do you know yeah, what's he, interesting as well so, sorry to interrupt you there Joe but yeah. another thing Mark just, uh, that's interesting was that AIK would bring a young Irish player here is a watershed to me right as is the fact that Zach Elbuzadi would come here to play Right, so you know, I, when I first spoke to him when I got back from Tokyo, I was saying, "You know how long I've been waiting for one of you to decide to come over here and give this a go?" Because I've always known that they could thrive here. Something in me, watching so many games here and so many players, and watching Lustig and Sebastian Larsson playing for AIK and still performing at the highest international level, and thinking these guys could do it, you know. And when the rumor came out that AIK was looking for uh, an Irish international or interested in bringing them over, the rumors that went around were absolutely wild. Some of the players named in this uh, squad actually were mentioned as being possibilities and no it turned out to be Zach but the fact that they look at him right because for years there was this thing but you know partly still people calling people British right so they'd be lumping in there with English footballers but this idea of you know the, the kick and rush Irish gang of Jack Chaffin of 1990 19, to a lesser extent 1994 like the, you know the fact that we tried to play football under Mick McCarthy to a lesser extent under Brian Kerr that's all lost that's nuance that's lost on people outside of Ireland people still think of us as being like Norway in 1998 like an industrial football team you know so it's a huge thing. Like, and I remember when people said to me that when Zach was signed, I was interviewed over here by a football website, and they said, "Well, what's he like?" And I said, "Look, this is a footballer. This is not Roy Keane. That's not who you're getting here. There's a famous English footballer here called Kenny Pavey. Kenny played for AIK, you know, and he was a Millwall boy. He used to, I think he actually played with Richie Sadlier back in the day, right? But Kenny was he was exactly what he says in the team. He went in, he tackled, and he took his red cards, and he scored his headers, and that was it. I said he's the opposite of this, and that's pretty much what we've gotten. And when they see that creativity. And it was absolutely amazing to see when they're playing a home game here, lads. And when Zach got on the ball, when they finally realised they could get the ball in behind the defence of Zach, people stood up out of their seats to watch this kid get on the ball, right? And that, to me, was you know it was one of the greatest moments I've had, innocuous as it may sound, in all my 35, 40 years of watching the Irish international team and Irish international players. That was amazing to me. To see an Irish boy bring people in Stockholm, Sweden, out of their seats was fantastic. And that's what I want to see from Stephen Kenny's Ireland. I want to see him produce 20, 30, 40 Zach Elbuzadis, centre-backs, goalkeepers, Gavin Bazunas, all these guys. And that's what I want to see for the next 10 years of Irish football. And you know what? If the results aren't great, fine. If we never make another big tour, fine. I don't care. But I want people all over Europe and all over the world looking at Irish players going, I want to see that kid play. And it, they'll all want him to have, you know, the same haircut as well. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even notice he was slicking his hair back that time when he said that. Like, it's probably like, like, a, it's probably like a, a muscle memory or some kind of Pavlovian reaction he has <laughs> now. He just kind of flicks it back and makes sure everybody's aware of it. Well, I, I, I exclusively for this podcast that he now wears a hairband so he doesn't <laughs> need to do that anymore. <laughs> and look, that little one section of play, I know people focus on in 
touching his hair twice or fixing his hair twice, and everyone said he's doing it for the cameras. But no one was saying, yeah, but he got a great crossing, and it was a lucky enough to end in a goal. He can fix his hair as much as he wants if he plays like that. Every time Ronaldo scores a penalty or a free kick, well, he first thing he does is rips his top off and, you know, flexes for the cameras. All right? He's doing that, but he can he backs it up with his performances. We mentioned earlier on about playing against Portugal. Better teams in Ireland haven't been able to handle Cristiano Ronaldo this season. And I'm not saying, as we said, he's going to be as good as Ronaldo. Like, we might never see a player as good as him in our lifetimes. But if he can perform, then he can wear whatever he wants in his hair. With this, the thing, I think that that's what makes him. He's like he's a great guy, and I've never seen a fellow as well who everybody in the club. Like the first time I went down to the training ground uh, to talk to him, you know, and we'd been talking on the phone and that kind of thing. And I met him a couple of times in the mix zone and that. And I went down to the clubhouse one day as the corona restrictions were lifting here, and we sat down and we did a podcast and we put it out and that, you know, and talking to the other players, Mikel Lusty, Henrik Goitom, uh, Sebastian Larsson, talking to everybody else in the club, Alexander Milosevic, who used to play for Nottingham Forest and Darmstadt in uh, in the Bundesliga, you know. Everybody wants this lad to succeed. They all own dogs on me. Everybody loves this kid, you know. And he's so nice. Like, he does the right thing. He goes back, you know, like, he trains, he eats, he goes home, he sleeps, he stays in. We invited him just to go out one night and watch a little bit of Gaelic football training. He's gone, no, lads, I have a match tomorrow, so I'm sorry. Like, you know, I'll be staying in, watching Netflix and go to bed at 10 o'clock, like, you know. And comes out and puts in those crosses the next day, Joe. So, this is somebody that everybody wants to succeed. And I do think that, like you say, I mean, I keep calling him the River Valley, the River Valley Ronaldo to, to his face on WhatsApp, you know, and he sort of countered that and go, well, you know, if you put me on the left wing, you can start calling me Zach Greenish, you know, so I'm having a bit of crack with that, you know, but I honestly do think that, you know, when he develops a little bit more over here and comes into the team, I do think that he's going to be somebody who brings people out of their seats, not just in Stockholm, but in the Irish national team as well, and that to me, lads, is where the joy is, right, I want to go back to the teams that I grew up with, of watching Liam Brady do something absolutely magical, something that I hadn't even seen until he completed that pass, you know, and if we can get back to that, and to make fans and kids and the next generation of players dream again. I think that the likes of Zach and the likes of Adam Eda, the likes of, you know, even if Harry Arthur comes back and starts sliding in those passes, Gavin Bazuno's been brilliant. Saving that penalty from Ronaldo is an iconic thing for a young goalkeeper to do, you know. So, and th- that to me is worth any amount of wins, you know. If we only draw with Luxembourg with the odd game, we'll still be happy enough as long as we can put on performances like that. There's a massive game this weekend in Sweden. Uh, AIK are third in the table. They missed a the chance to go join top uh, last weekend when they, they surprisingly lost to, um, and Frederick can correct me on my pronunciation here, Degerfor, who are third, Degerfors, from bottom, yeah. Yeah, they're third from bottom of the table. A win would have put AIK join top with City rivals Jurgarden ahead of the, the derby in AIK's grounds uh, this weekend. That's a game where you want to see a player like Zach Edwards-Eddie shine. That's going to be a huge game, right? So the coronavirus restrictions, as we're talking here, uh, it's the 30th of September. Yesterday was the 29th. All, pretty much all the COVID restrictions were lifted here yesterday, right? Now, there's a problem here with the police in this country. Yeah, the police have to license every game that takes place, and they're a pain in the ass at the moment, right? So, you know, they say the terraces behind the goals. They don't like people lighting flares and that, you know, so they, bring, they draw down things like that. 50,000 people can go to the Friends Arena, right? They've already sold almost 40,000 tickets for this game between AIK and Ugordon, right? Zach is... Pretty much, I'm nothing untoward, if nothing untowards happens between now, it's actually Sunday at 3 o'clock, Joe, is the kickoff. And I tried to get it shown on Irish TV and we just couldn't get it over the line in time. But, you know, at some point it might crop up on one of the channels over there. We might hear me commentating on Zach, you know. But it, like, it's going to be an absolutely massive game in front of 40,000 people. And if nothing untoward happens, he's going to start that game on the right-hand side. And, you know, he's going to be doing what he's always, like what they've been telling him to do since the start. Take your man on, get around him, put the ball in there. He's had twice I've seen him hit the crossbar, cut inside onto his left foot and pinging off shots there you know so this is going to be a huge game and I've been encouraging him to have a few shots in this game because if he was the one to decide this game you know he'd go down in history but I think it would also be the kind of thing that you know uh, Stephen Kenny would notice and Keith Andrews would notice because you know again guys scoring goals in big games they're the kind of guys that Stephen Kenny and Keith Andrews are going to want in their squad do in the future you know so I just hope that this you know this, this really positive uh, upward turn in his career that that's going to hang on now you know through Sunday and then on through the rest of the season they don't win the league they don't win the league but still at the, at the same time I'd like to see him continue to perform at this level As you said the, the Swedish league is heading towards the end of the 2021 season uh, AIK are looking good for at least uh, a place in the Europa League next season they're, they're currently third and there's five points I think between them and third they might not win the league but they should be good for a place in Europe so we could be seeing Edwards Eddie playing European football next season with AIK I don't know if 
playing European football necessarily would be enough to get him into the Ireland team. We've seen Graham Carey is playing for CSK Sofia in Europe. Uh, he's actually playing tonight uh, and scoring and, you know, has won the Bulgarian Cup and has scored in Europe, but he still can't get into that team. At 32, probably not going to be ever going to make his international debut for his country, which is a shame. But what was Eddie's move and what including him in the the national side, the message that that would send to players is that, you know, we are looking outside England and Scotland. We are looking across Europe. We are looking at team players maybe playing at uh, lesser known sides, but performing well for them. And these are the players that we want in the national side. When you think that Kenny Sheridan played in the Champions League against Barcelona and still couldn't get a place in the national side, we talk about the setup, the tactics, even the positions on the pitch, and all that has to improve. But, you know, we really need to drop this uh, this tunnel vision we seem to have for clubs uh, north and south of Hadrian's Wall. I do think that that's definitely one of those things that, you know, the, to, if you're playing for Wigan or if you're playing for, for Lincoln City or whoever, you know, no offence to those clubs, right? I think that, and I do think that Stephen and Keith are a little bit more aware of what's going on out in Europe. I think that they do, you know, because again, Stephen would have had reasonable experience from the League of Ireland of playing against teams in Europe and seeing what's going on there, you know. So I do think that he's aware of what the, what the level is outside of there. And I do think that with El Buzaydi now, if he does eventually make the squad, I do, like, again, he's a fellow who was well-liked when he was in the setup there. So they're aware of what's going on with him. They're aware of how well he's doing and what the level of opposition is like. And Keith Andrews would have known a lot of lads, a lot of Swedes that he would have played with through the years as well. So he knows what things are going on here. And I do think that once, once Zach is done and people see that he's over here, he's earning a good living, he has a great lifestyle here, really enjoying himself. When others start to join in, when others start to say, you know what, I'm going to go to Norway, to the top city in Norway. I might go to uh, FC Copenhagen. You know, if, if they've put a deal on the table, why not go? You know, meet Yilland. There's some great teams in Scandinavia to play. HJK Helsinki don't pay great wages, but it's a great club to play for. You know, Tim Sparrow, the Finnish captain, has just gone back there, and he's hoping that'll keep his career going until the World Cup in Qatar, and he hopes to play there. You know, so if he, if if we can broaden our horizons a little bit, and again, this is part of the, the Kenny thing for me, you know, is if we can broaden that horizon and not just focus on, oh, you know, great, you know, he came off the bench for Hibernian, and again, no offence to Hibernia, great club, great league, etc, etc, but there's so many other options out there, and there needs to be, because this is a global market now, lads, right? We have players coming from all over the world to play in the Premier League and in the Championship and in League One, right? So, in order to be able to deal with that competition, we have to have these well-educated young players, and they have to be capable of playing in the Netherlands, in Belgium, in places like that, and it's the one huge difference that I've always seen between Swedish football and Irish football, is, you know, you go back, there's a player called Paris Etteberg who's barely known at international level, but was an absolute wizard of a playmaker, and hugely rated in Sweden who played most of his career in Belgium. The same thing with Klaas Ingesson who was one of the anchors of the 1994 midfield played in Belgium, also played in Italy for, for some of the smaller clubs. You know, So we need to take that into account and start to respect these other things and learn about these other leagues and that's why El Buzedi, if he opens a few eyes for Jarl Svenskan, I'd be more than happy for him to do that. Do you think there's players in the League of Ireland at the moment that could go and play in Sweden and thrive as El Buzedi has? Yeah, I absolutely do. And I mean, one of the first players, I don't know if I told you this story before, John, I'm sure it's coming up, it's come up once or twice we met in person. I, maybe actually I told you at the time was that uh, Jason Bourne, Robbie Keane's cousin who was playing for, uh, he played for Shells and Shamrock Rovers and Bowes and scored all manner of goals. One of the greatest goal scorers in the history of the League of Ireland. But in his period at Cardiff City, he scored a goal in his debut. I think he came off the bench and scored a goal in his debut. And then he played about 10 games there. He didn't score anymore. Didn't really fit in, right? And it was made known to clubs around Europe that, um, that he was going to be free to go, that they were going to let him go. They were just going to sort of terminate his contract. And you, Gordon, who are the city rivals of AIK, were one of the clubs who came in for him, you know? And it didn't happen. And when I knew he was available, I actually suggested him to Patrick Walker, who was managing Earl Bro at the time, and they really needed a goal scorer, quite like Stephen Kelly does at the moment. And Pat actually got, I called him on the Sunday to suggest that he signed Jason Bourne, and he got sacked on the Monday. Otherwise, he was going to try to bring Jason Bourne to this Midland soccer club here, you know? So I know efforts have been made to bring players over before, but there's also an attitude among the players that out of sight is out of mind. So if I go to Sweden, if I go to Belgium, like Killian Sheridan, if, if I disappear off the radar, great, it's great to play against Barcelona in the Champions League, but that's only one game that people see. You know, Jack Byrne going to Cyprus was another 
unfortunate decision with, with, when you look back now and see how it worked out, you know. But him going over there, you know, maybe he had such a profile that everybody knew what he could do and he was already pretty much in the squad, you know. But going over there, you kind of disappear. And a player who doesn't have the profile of a Jack Bourne, like a Zach Elbazadi, might have worried before he came over here that maybe I'm damaging my international chances here. It'd be like an English player going to play in, in, in the Netherlands, you know, or even the lads who played for Borussia Dortmund, Jaden Sancho and uh, Jude Bellingham. They've really suffered because Gareth Southgate knows who he is, but he hasn't seen the play, lads. And everybody at Borussia Dortmund tells me that, look, he doesn't try to use them the right way because he doesn't know what they're good at. He brings them in and he says, oh, you know, we can try this, we can try that. But he doesn't actually watch these guys play, you know? You'd kind of wonder as well, guys, domestic football-wise, could there be link-ups with other intercontinental teams? Like, like Philip, you're, you know, the case study here of AIK and Zach has been, it's quite exemplary, really, how the club have basically scouted him and the club have basically nurtured him to um, kind of let him fit in. But I'm just wondering in terms of a Bohemians or other teams in the Artistry League, would there be any kind of partnerships in the offing there, you know, in terms of... Do you know what you I'd know? like to see, Mark, right? And I mean, like, I was watching um, Zenit St. Petersburg last night, we're playing against Malmo, so I was sitting here on my couch writing a match report, and Malmo, the man, said off after an hour and we're beating 4-0, right? And this is, this is a club that has been twice part of the group stages in the Champions League, 2015-2016, I think it was, right? It's the richest club in, if not in, definitely in Sweden and probably in Scandinavia as well, apart from FC Copenhagen, right? And to be honest, football has been destroyed by the Champions League, which, by the way, was the idea of Lennart Johansson, who was the, the man behind it in UEFA at the time, trying to, you know, rule out a European Super League breakaway kind of thing. And he formed the Champions League. And it kind of has killed football for everybody outside of the top six or seven leagues, right? So Malmo have no business being there anymore. No more than Shamrock Rovers or Dundalk would have had any business there anymore. What I'd love to see is Irish, Swedish, Finnish, Icelandic, Norwegian clubs, Danish clubs, Greenland, Faroe Islands, Scotland, Wales, just go, you know what, let's have a North Atlantic Champions League. Right? Let's have a separate competition that's actually competitive, right? I get nothing out of watching Malmo get handed their arse last night. It's just, I got nothing out of it. And look, even though I was getting paid to watch it, it was still a burden to do it, you know? It pretty excruciating, yeah. Yeah, so I'd much rather see a Dundalk or a Shamrock Rovers or a Bohemians going up against a Hibernian or a Celtic or a Rangers for that part. You know, Rosenborg used to be a great force, the Norwegian club, they used to be a great force in the Champions League when the gap was still almost manageable for them. But even FC Copenhagen now, which is, you know, they're owned by a listed company in, in Denmark, they pay huge wages, but they still can't hold their own. They're not guaranteed to be in the group stages every year. So why not break them out then? Because the, the sporting gap between a Shamrock Rovers and AIK is not as big as you might think, right? Again, Shamrock Rovers will be able to put it up for them. They might win three out of ten games. They might win two out of ten games. They might draw three of them. AIK would probably win five, right? So to play ten times in a row. I'll take those odds. That would be much more entertaining and much more valuable for me as a fan and as a journalist and somebody who loves the game of football. And it would also open up to, like, last year I was part of the broadcast when AC Milan played Shamrock Rovers, right? And it was shown on web TV over here by the Afton Blood newspaper, which would be the equivalent of the Evening Herald. And they brought me in to talk about Shamrock Rovers. And I literally sat there for an hour before the game only talking about Jack Bourne. I was going, everybody, watch Jack Bourne. Watch this young fella. This is what Irish football is all about. This is the future. This is the future. This is the future. And at halftime, they sat there and went, we've never heard of this guy. This guy's brilliant. What's going to happen? Now, I would have loved to see Jack Bourne come over here and go to Malmo and let Malmo pay him with all that, like, that lovely, lovely Champions League money that they have. But unfortunately, it never happened. I actually thought that I was hyping him so much that some sporting director here was going to read me straight afterwards and go, you don't happen to have a number for Jack Bourne by any chance, do you? But like, it would be lovely if that kind of thing happened. Um, I, do t- I do foresee it happening in the future because we're going to get this hourglass thing, this two-tier thing. Essentially, it'll be a Super League, a European Super League in all but name, right? You know, I mean, I didn't watch Paris Saint-Germain, I didn't watch Manchester City. I turned off the telly once Malmo beaten last night because it just doesn't interest me anymore but I'd watch that and I'd watch the younger players like Dejan Kulisevsky who would have been uh, on the opposite side to uh, Zach Elbuzeli when they played for the under 21s he played the first game uh, against Ireland one of the the games that Sweden lost there you know I'd rather watch players like that and enjoy that than watch you know these big sort of petrodollar clubs and and I think that it would be open up then to see more Swedes playing maybe in the League of Ireland and more League of Ireland players or more Irish players coming over to play in Sweden and seeing that as a possible career path just you, you, know, you mentioned that the Swedish league is a summer league, and obviously so is the League of Ireland. Is there any kind of scope there for like preseason games between clubs, you know, in the two leagues? Because I do watch, you know, preseason games for League of Ireland clubs, February and early March, and they just kind of seem to be Premier League teams playing first division teams, and I don't know how good that is uh, in terms of preparation. 
something they thought could have led to something more was when Robbie Keane brought LA Galaxy here uh, yeah. as part of their preseason. And I went to at the LA Galaxy game against Shamrock Rovers in Tallis Stadium, and I even remember saying to the lads I went with, like, that if Robbie Keane scores here, he'll possibly be the only player ever to be applauded for scoring against Shamrock Rovers. <laughs> and, okay, it didn't lead to anything, and I'm off the top of my head, I don't think any of the other MLS clubs uh, have come here as part of their pre-season, uh, which is disappointing, and look, I doubt that's going to happen in, in the new year because of whatever restrictions are still in place, but Travelling across Europe is starting to open up. Is starting to open up. So why can't AIK come and play against the Docker Bohemians? Why can't Cork City go play Christiansund or someone in, in Norway? It kind of seems like a bit of a no-brainer. But I think a lot of the Swedish and Scandinavian teams, because the weather's so bad here at this time of the year, you've no idea. I hate preseason friendlies here because it's usually below zero and it's artificial grass, you know. But they tend to play a lot of games down in La Manga and places like that in Spain, right? Or they might go to one of these places in the Middle East and play there, you know. So if Irish clubs were to show up over there, I do think that there'd be much more scope for that. If a Shamrock Rovers or Dundalk, you know, it's a budgetary issue for Irish clubs as well because they're not exactly flush with cash. But if you can imagine now, and you're after planting a seed there for me, Joe, I might just call up the guys at AIK after the derby now on Monday morning and say, lads, why don't we go to Ireland? Why don't you bring El Buzedi there and play against Shamrock Rovers and Tallis Stadium and play Galway United over in Terryland or something like that, play against Cork City, just bring this Irish player over, do three games and come back and be over there for a week. Uh, the, or, or the Swedish women are going to be staying at Carton House over there. The Swedish team was actually supposed to have its base there if, if they were playing their games in Dublin. you know. So put yeah. them in there, let them work away. They'd love it. Uh, it's, a, it's a country that people like to go to. It's, you're getting playing, playing on lovely grass pitches against a good standard of opposition and you get a chance to work on your game. I think that that would be a brilliant idea, but like I say, for the Irish clubs, it's going to be an economic thing because bringing a team to uh, to La Manga for 10 days or two weeks, you know, it would be brilliant if we were going to afford that. And I really think that playing against that level of opposition, right, even the mid-tier sides in Sweden or Norway would provide a very, very good test for Rovers, physically and tactically, right? These are good, good teams, well-coached teams, well-prepared. The guys, you know, they, they, you know, they eat well, they, they prepare well. And I do think that that would be really good, not least then when two, three months into the season when the European Games start, to, to pop up that a guy from Dundalk or a guy from Bowes or Shamrock Rovers would realise yeah this is what we met back in February lads this is no surprise there's no shock to us anymore you know it wasn't a year ago since we saw it I feel like I should maybe plug uh, the facilities on offer in the University of Limerick myself and Mark's uh, alma mater if you go down there on most weekday mornings you'll meet the, the Munster team training there and the facilities are absolutely world class 50 metre swimming pool I used to go there when it was open. I'm not sure if it's been reopened yet. Yeah, so... And, I, I've know, actually played a Gaelic football tournament there, uh, a European Gaelic football tournament there that I think took place in 2012. So I can absolutely back that one, Joe. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's supposed to be a stadium down there. Limerick City still have a stadium that you can play a soccer game in down there. I'm sure they do. Yeah, 3D United are playing in the, the markets fields. Uh, actually, the Ireland are hosting their group for the women's under-17 European Championship qualifiers and the games are going to be played in the Marcus Field and uh, Jackman Park. UL, uh, the arena there has uh, a bowl. Uh, it's just it's where the university team play. And Limerick FC, I think, looked into having their games there because the pitch is absolutely magnificent and it's a bit of a European style. It has a running track around it. But they were told no because you, you can basically walk straight up to it from any direction and because you can't charge admission, uh, they were refused permission yeah, to use it. I did see Ireland play a friendly against the, the University of Limerick team there. I'm pretty sure it was in the during the build-up to the one of the games against Austria in the qualifiers for Euro 96. So uh, it would have been summer of 95. And yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I think, that kind of a situation for a pre-season friendly where you can just walk up, sit in the grass, watch a game of football and then walk away at the end of it would be would be different, but it would be might be something that the Scandinavian clubs would be interested in. I think it definitely would, you know, I think it's something that should be, you know, there's actually a, a sort of, um, I think Simon Coveney, the, the Irish foreign minister there, a couple of months ago, or maybe just before the summer there, they actually launched a sort of a Nordic strategy. I think that sport and culture are obviously huge parts of that. And it would be an amazing thing to do, like you say, because like, you know, it's playing on frozen pitches here or going to Ireland, you know, letting people, like letting sponsors go play golf at one another, that kind of thing. I think there might be a huge opportunity to do things there. Now, that said, it's probably too late. I said they probably have their plans made for 2022, but for 2023 and beyond, I think it would be a great idea if we could have a little circuit of teams, the Malmos and the Ugordans and the AIKs of this world, travelling through some of the League of Ireland clubs and really giving them good competitive games there. 
through where it all started if that does come to pass. Oh, yes, yes. We, there you we, go. We uh, call the Irish Football Fans Podcast uh, Tournament, you know? Yeah, yeah. We get to be commentators. Yeah, there you go. The football series will be out then, guys, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's really good discussion about uh, Swedish football there, Phil. Um, it's great to get some insight from on how El Rosetti is going. The, just if we can go back to the, the two games that are coming up in uh, in October. Results, I know you said the results don't matter, but if you want to give a prediction on the performance, it might be a bit better. I, I think that this is going to be the sort of proof in the pudding. I think that what Kenny and what the Anders are trying to do, I think this is where we see the evidence of that, right? They're going to have had more time. They're going to have learned more. They've, bring, they've been able to pick in or bring in specific players. From. I, To be honest, I think they'll probably win both of these games. I think we'll see, you know, the marked improvement that we've seen, I think it's going to continue, you know, because you often see that under a new coach that there's real leaps, you know. Again, Germany have a new coach as well in Hansi Flick, you know, and very quickly you saw how, how quickly they improved, how quickly they adapted his tactics and that. It has been difficult for Ireland because of the situation that Kenny found himself in, but I do think that that Portugal, despite the result, that Portugal game really gave him a boost and really gave him the feel that, yeah, no, we belong here, you know, and I do think then that subsequent performances now that the players really are, I hate to hear this discussion, oh, you know, the players haven't bought into it. I think, like, if the players haven't bought into it, it's not going to look like that. It's not going to look like it did against Portugal. So I do think that we're going to get two good performances. It wouldn't surprise me if we get two victories again. But does it, if we don't get them, it doesn't bother me. I just want to see an Irish team attacking and creating chances because eventually it's going to it's going to happen. Eventually, like Elbow Zaydi hitting the bar twice with his left foot, one of those is eventually going to go in. And once that happens, it's game on. Mark, what do you think is going to happen across the two games and how do you see the results going? I think, like Philip, I'll be optimistic on the two games. I think players have got plenty of game time. The nucleus of the site. Um, the fact that we have likes of uh, Jason Knight coming back into the squad as well is a real kind of booster for us as well. Um, I think it will be a test for Kenny and Andrews as said at the start of the podcast, just how the side evolves. They've seen Azerbaijan in the flesh a few weeks ago. Um, what changes we're going to make. And hopefully we see a few dinky balls, as Philip has basically mentioned, over the top, see if we can Get our kind of like I'd love to see Adam either score a goal. To be perfectly honest, um, you know, get that off his back a little bit. Um, I'd be confident of maybe a victory in Azerbaijan, and I think the Qatar game, if he gets that victory in Baku, I think he could literally give a few guys within the squad, the Nathan Collins, Roy Manning, people that like that, uh, a bit of a goal against Qatar, and we'll be confident there, you know, with momentum if they can get a win in Baku uh, to get maybe a two nil, three one result against Qatar. For me, I, I want to see. A- a little more consistency across the three games. I think one of the things that we criticised Stephen Kenny for in the three games in uh, in September was that he seemed to have a formation and tactics that worked um, against Portugal and then changed it against Azerbaijan and it nearly cost him. And then to revert, kind of a, the team that finally went out against Serbia was kind of a halfway between the two, maybe a bit closer to the, the team that we saw against Portugal. And um, I think the performance was was much better, and uh, like uh, between these two games, I think we're going to see a lot of changes in terms of personnel. I think Quevin Kelleher would probably play the home game. I think uh, Bazuna would probably play in Baku, but I would like to see a bit more consistency in terms of maybe the formation. I agree with Phil that you know if you take care of the players, then the results will come. But look, we really need a win. Just for morale alone, you know, when we look at our, our record and, and see that our only win has been against Andorra, it's a little dispiriting. Um, and I think uh, a win, I prefer, if you offer me, if you ask me a pick between the two, I think I'd probably prefer to win in Baku because that's a competitive win and we don't have that yet. Don't get me wrong, a win in front of the fans in, in Aviva Stadium would be phenomenal but it's it will mean that we we haven't won another qualifier and you know could possibly be in line to finish fourth in the group so that's what i'd like to see uh over the next uh two weeks uh, of international football before we finish up i'd just like to take a moment and pay respects to jimmy greaves who uh who passed away recently uh i'm not old enough to have seen him play football but i do remember or i have seen him tested in play and the way that players and and managers and you know people that you respect in the game have spoken about him uh just kind of brings home uh what a, what an amazing talent he was and the fact that some of his goal scoring records are still standing more than 40 years after he retired you know as a testament to his to his abilities one of the first autobiographies uh i ever read his second autobiography and it was probably one of the first one where i read that 
where you know he went into detail. It was about the second half of his of his life after he'd retired and uh, when he you know he was having issues with with alcohol and about his recovery from it. And you know wherever you are tonight, um, maybe stick on uh, Aztec Gold and turn the treble all the way up and just remember uh, Saint Greasy on on Saturday mornings on ITV. For my own part, a lot of the guys that I've worked with over the years on the Roger Sports Desk, there's a huge amount of Tottenham Hotspur fans there. And one of them was a guy called Mike Collett. Mike is retired now, but he was the football correspondent for Rogers for maybe two, three decades. Huge Spurs fan, right? And just an encyclopedic knowledge of the FA Cup and of, of the England international team down through the years. And I had the privilege of working with him. And it's always, a, you know, when you see somebody like Jimmy Greaves passing, I wait to see what Mike says about them because that to me is Mike is the oracle, you know, and he would have seen an awful lot of those games and most of those goals that, uh, that Greaves would have had during his career. Mike would have been a young man at that point, you know. And he always talked about this idea that, you know, uh, he hated people who called Jimmy Greaves a striker. He said, no, no, Jimmy Greaves was either inside left or inside right. You know, he just happened to score so many goals that everybody got to use this idea of him as a number nine. He said, no, no, he was so much more of a footballer than just, you know, a standard number nine. And he really didn't want people to lose sight of what a brilliant, brilliant footballer and an intelligent footballer that Jimmy Greaves was. And he was capable of scoring all kinds of goals as well. You know, if you think of Alan Shearer, you think of a fellow who got in the box and got in the end of things that had power on both his feet. But you don't think of a real sort of intelligent fella. You know, you just think of somebody who's in the right place at the right time. Maybe Gary Lineker the same way. But but Greaves was apparently truly different class. And it really is a shame that there isn't more video of him around uh, for all the great goals that he scored for us to watch. I watched a few of Jimmy Greaves' goals, you know, during as a player. And I think Phillips is right on there, you know, wasn't the out-and-out striker. You know, he definitely did float. But, yeah, what a, what a striker of a ball. And... I think from my growing up days, you know, ITV, Ian St. John, Jimmy Greaves, and, you know, it was, you know, a casual commentary, but it also had an analytical edge to it as well, without really kind of sticking the boot in on players particularly. Um, yeah, it was just, you know, really, really good guy, like he seemed to be, and I think the autobiography I've read as well, um, Joe, it's a real kind of eye-opener in terms of, you know, the ups and downs in life. So, but uh, a quote from him here, we signed to play until the day we died, and we did, you know, in terms of Spurs and, you yeah. know, the, the signing of it. So, look, his philosophy of football never really changed, really passionate man on it. Rest in peace. That's it. I'd like to thank Phil for joining us for the really good discussion on Zach Bazzetti's career thus far in Sweden. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Philip O'Connor, and I'd like to thank Mark for joining me again for a discussion. You can also follow him at Hawkeye Psychic. You can follow me at Irish underscore abroad. We look forward to the qualifier and the friendly in October. We'll review them and also the under-21 games and maybe have a brief review of the team qualifiers happening in Cork as well. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Take care. Bye.